like Chris said, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, multiplication through addition. And I want to begin uh, tonight asking some simple questions. And, and don't take offense to the simpleness of my questions. There is a point. And I'm going to ask you to participate. But I want to ask you a question. What is, what is 2 plus 2? Four, right? What's four plus four? Okay, now here's a little bit harder one for you. We'll see who can be the first one to answer this. What's 15 plus seven? 22, right? So these aren't, and I don't say this to uh, downgrade anyone's intelligence, but what I am saying is, while that's simple for us, it doesn't always work like that in God's economy. Amen? 15 plus seven doesn't always equal 22 in God's economy. As a matter of fact, I, I would tell you in our instance, uh, 15 plus 7 equaled 130. And so I want to talk to you about addition, or forgive me, multiplication through addition. When Carlos was talking about when they planted in Bondurant, uh, my family was here and we were in town uh, during that time. We uh, did an internship with First Family. They were ready to, to send us out to a church plant in Tennessee. And so we were over at that Bondurant campus. We were observing what was going on and, and thinking, boy, just around the corner, we're going to be doing this ourselves and the whole setup and, and, and takedown and the whole, everything that goes involved in, in, in mobilizing people for church plants. And, and it was just a blessing to see that. It's, it's just amazing. When he said five years, I, I couldn't even hardly believe it because it seems like just yesterday. And during that time we spent here with First Family, and they've just been a blessing to us over the years. And they were sending us out to Tennessee to go plant. And uh, it's not my topic tonight, but so I'm going to give you the, the, the short version. We went back to Tennessee, and, and not far uh, into it, maybe just a few months, maybe a couple months, we started to, started to figure out that the core group that we we're going to plant there with, uh, they kind of had in mind, uh, this came out afterwards, it wasn't... Uh, deception by any means that just that's the way it worked out their means they wanted to actually have a, a church plant with their uh, classical Christian school that they had started seven years earlier initially that wasn't the the thing and there were some other things it wasn't bad it wasn't um, there was no sin involved there was no dishonesty we said boy that's just not the route that we want to go down I, I, I can't tell you, I'm giving you the short version but you can imagine how we uh, moved our family up to Iowa for four months, back to Tennessee, all the emotions about gearing up to plant a church, and then all of a sudden, uh, you go back down, you're ready to get started, and all of a sudden, it just feels like the train comes off the rails, and the emotion that goes in, into that, and just the, the uncertainty, the, the devastation, and uh, so we start to pray, well, now what? What does God have for us? And we don't know, and my wife's from Missouri, and her brother was graduating from high school, and so we thought, well, we'll come up and we'll go to the graduation, right, because we got nothing better to do. And so we come up, and we go to the graduation. Well, the church in her hometown had lost their pastor, and she knew some friends who went to church there from high school, and they asked us if we would fill in for the time that we were back, and of course... I was excited about that, and so we spent a couple weeks there. And long story short, um, it wasn't, it did, they didn't have the same denominational background, and that's really not that big of a deal for me, but was a big deal is they didn't have the same doctrinal background. Um, they didn't really have much of a doctrine uh, to begin with. It was a fairly liberal church. 
I didn't mind filling in there for a couple weeks, but then they asked me if I would stay, and I turned to my wife, and she said, well, could you do that? I mean, it's a very liberal church, or at least the denomination, the background, and I thought for a minute, I thought, you know, I got nothing better to do. <laughs> that was what I first thought initially, I'll be honest. But the second thing was, I said, you know, I'll preach the gospel in a mosque if they let me. And so I never planned on staying there. I mean, I had kind of in the back of my mind maybe a few months, a summer. And um, so we started to preach. We started to get involved in the community. And come to find out while we were there, the Baptist church in town uh, had lost their pastor as well. And so uh, they had approached me and asked if I would, well, I'm skipping ahead, but we'd start doing community Bible studies. So there were some folks from their church coming to the study. There's some church uh, folks coming from the Methodist church. And so we're starting to get involved and know people in the community and just sort of serve and, and teach and just give ourselves to that community while we're there. And um, we started to find out that, well, the Baptist church didn't have a pastor. And so we talked to them about switching their Sunday school times around. And so we would go there and preach in the morning and then come and preach after that, at the, uh, it was a Christian church, Disciples of Christ. And so we're preaching at both uh, services all summer long. And it was amazing because initially the Christian church had 15 folks and the Baptist church had seven. And by the end of that summer, teaching, um, the congregation started to grow some. Mostly just kind of come out to see the new monkey perform, I guess. I don't know, right? <laughs> and so as the congregations began to grow, we started leading both those churches really in the same direction because that's all I know, right, is to open the Word of God and go through it. And there started to become some questions. They started to ask questions. Well, would you ever consider staying? And the thought did crossed my mind because they were receiving the gospel well. There were people coming to Christ and, and being baptized. And there were some people that had some issues. There, I mean, I'll just tell you right now, it was amazing to see. I mean, people who'd been in church their entire life and didn't understand the Trinity. And I don't say that as a knock um, on them. I say that as I just loved talking the Bible and, and, and working through these issues with people and seeing people say, I get it. I mean, I can't tell you how amazing that is. And so that's just what we did all summer long. And two congregations began to grow. And then they started asking questions about, well, doctrine and church government. And by the end of that summer, I started getting questions. Well, would you ever consider staying? And my wife, she said, well, would we? Would we ever consider staying? Because that was never our intention. And I said to my wife, I said, well, it would be nice. I mean, it's amazing what God is doing here. But I said, for this to happen, there would have to be some doctrinal stance taken. In the Christian church that we were preaching at, their only doctrinal statement was, our only creed is Christ. And I, saw that, I suppose that was sort of a knock against the historical church and the stances and the creeds and confessions. And they said, our only creed is Christ. And for a lot of people, that sort of sounds good, doesn't it? But then you sort of start to ask questions, well, what does that mean? 
which Christ? That might be a question, right? Is it the Jehovah's Witness Christ that is the Archangel Michael? Is it that Christ? Because that's not the same Christ. Is it the, is it the Mormon Christ? Is it um, the spiritual brother of Satan? Because that's not the same Christ, right? So doctrine's important, amen? And so as they began to ask these questions, the same thing I said to my wife, I said we'd have to have some doctrinal things in place. The second thing I said was, is we'd have to change the government of the church. I'll just tell you right now, if I wanted to divide a church, if I wanted to split a church, you know what the first thing I would do? I would have a church monthly business meeting. <laughs> That's the first thing I'd do. And I'd have us get together and we'd argue over what we think we need to do and nothing get resolved and then we split and spend a month uh, thinking about it and stewing about it, getting more upset and coming back and fighting over it again next month. That's the first thing I'd do. And that's what both of those churches had in place. And the last thing I said that we'd have to do is we'd have to leave that denomination. Um, I'm not one that says this denomination is the only one, but there are some that just represent and teach and proclaim things that just are contrary to Scripture. And, and so I said the last thing that we'd have to do, and you know what I said to my wife? I said, and we both know that's never going to happen. And she said, yeah, you're right. So we're sort of, summer's starting to come to an end, and we're starting to think, okay, well, we definitely don't want to be up here if, during the winter if we can be down there in the winter. And so we kind of start to mentally start to make plans to, to start heading back south. And so the church kind of, uh, the leadership asked those same questions. Would you consider staying? And I lovingly said the same things to them. I said, I love y'all, and that's the truth. I mean, as you spend time and you minister with people and you share time together and you do funerals and, and you spend time with people in good times and bad, you begin to, to really cling and latch on to those folks, don't you? And uh, I said, I would love to. I said, but here's a few things that are really hurdles for me that I don't think I could overcome. And we began to lovingly walk through that with the entire church, open up scripture. And you know what's crazy? We changed every one of those things without one issue. The church that we were in had been established since 1864. And all those things, all those, those three things I said, not even a hiccup. And I turned to my wife and I said, I think I'd be disobedient at this point to not stay. <laughs> right? And so we did. And that was about nine months. Uh, that was towards the end of the summer. But about nine months in is when we, so just maybe four, five, six months after that, we actually committed that we would stay. And um, a year later, exactly uh, the anniversary service later, we had 130 people um, in attendance at church, and um, we had been in the 90s and the 110s, 115, and that service there wasn't so, you know, wasn't like a big anniversary celebration, but um, 130 people in that service, and of course, you guys know, um, attendance fluctuates and all those kind of things, but it's amazing how when you add 15 plus 7, with servant hearts, 
focused on Scripture and loving people in God's economy, how 15 plus 7 doesn't equal 22, it equals 130. And I agree wholeheartedly with what Carlos said. Now, as, as I tell that story, I must stop and say, because some people might think, well, boy, Jason, you must know what you're doing. I have to tell you, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I had no plan. My only plan was, was to go home at the end of the summer. And all I knew is that God had me where I was at that time, and so we serve and love people at that time where we are, and I thought I would just go home and do it back home when I got there. I didn't really have a plan. I didn't know what I was doing. And as Carlos said, God uses people. And I say that not to say that he used me because that's not really where the multiplication happened. We might have orchestrated an addition deal, the 15 and the 7, but it was the 15 and the 7 that then began to multiply and invite and... um, God used them to do the rest of that work. And so that's where we were at the end of that year. And I just want to turn your attentions real quick. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open them to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Now this is an intense part of Scripture, and I'm not going to unpack all this for you today, but I just want to say this, that here in these passages leading up to the Lord's determined uh, to crush Babylon for Israel's sake. And in, in this, he's going to demonstrate that he's the Lord, that his people, he's their holy one, he's their creator, he's their king. He's the one that brought them out of the Red Sea. He's the one who destroyed the pursuing Egyptians all at the same time. But here he's saying that how he's prospered them in the past, how he's blessed them in the past is not going to be how he does it in the future. Look at verse 18 with me. He says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. I'm not preaching this passage, I'm not unpacking it, but in a similar way. How God had prospered his people in the past and how he had blessed them. Here he's explaining to them that's not how it's going to be in the future. And he goes on in letters and tells them how he's going to do that, which is really some miraculous work. But let me just tell you for a second, it's no more miraculous than your salvation. I think oftentimes in the church we do not appreciate what a miracle salvation is. It's a miracle. God can make dead people alive. But let me just say that God has blessed his church, especially in years past in America. Amen? And I think that we need to be open to the idea of how he'll do it in the future may not be how he's done it in the past. This is a new age. It's a new time. I don't mean God continues to save souls, and I agree with everything Carlos got done saying. But what I'm saying is, is church may not look like in the future what it looks like today. In many places around the world, it all where God is flourishing and, and 
growing his church leaps and bounds. Their church doesn't look like our church today. Amen? And I'm all for church planning. Matter of fact, that's what we're doing now. But I also think we need to be open to some new things that God is doing. And we need to be open to how God is working. Let me just give you a couple of statistics. According to Leadership Network Research, about 6,000 Protestant churches merge annually. Same research says that another 15,000 say that they've already talked about merging in the future. And really what's going on is these churches are sensing that they could fulfill their God-given mission better together than they can separately. And if they join forces, explore new ways, all for the advancement of the kingdom. Right? We're not building our own kingdoms, amen? We're building God's kingdom. Of the 3,000 evangelical churches today in America, 80% are either plateaued or in decline. Maybe we could humble ourselves, be humble servants and willing to embrace the new things that God has for each and every one of us. And some of these churches that have plateaued or have died, um, I have to really give uh, credit to the work that God was doing in these churches prior to and years before I ever got there. And in the own hearts of these local congregations, for them to humble themselves and to be able to, to grab on to a new mission, a new thing, what God had in store for them, I really humbles me when I think about it. Let me just say that we never intended to merge two churches. That was never our intention. But seeing where God was working and then being willing to join him in where he was working, I think can make all the difference for each and every one of us. So let me just finish with just a few benefits that I think um, to this. And I, and I say this, but I want you to think of it outside of the box that I'm speaking in in terms of church mergers because the reality is, is probably no one in here will probably be involved in a church merger. There's a good possibility. That will never happen, never be a thing that you're a part of. But can we say, and let me say wholeheartedly what Carlos said, be willing to go where God's working. Join him where he's working. Be willing to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. So let me just give you a couple of benefits. Struggling churches win as they get a fresh start in living out God's purpose for their church. Renewed vision, renewed purpose, renewed energy. Those struggling churches win in that. The strong churches, or maybe even that church plant, they win as they gain momentum when the struggling churches join them. There's more people to serve. There's more hands and feet to worship, to walk, to work with. The body of Christ wins because the corporate witness of the local church is stronger and better able to make disciples. Let me just tell you that the local communities win. We experienced this firsthand ourselves, which is really 
a huge ministry within the church is to serve that local community. And that local community wins when they're served better, better by a strong, vibrant congregation. Because 15 plus 7 doesn't always equal 22. It can equal much more than that. And the kingdom of God wins through the advancement of growth of vital, life-giving congregations. And that's what we're here to do. Like I say, we never intended to merge churches. We just wanted to serve where God had us at that time. God has blessed His church in America. But we need to be open to a new thing that God may be doing, whatever that may be. Because the reality for you, it probably won't be a church merger. And for me, it may never be that again either. But I ask you, where is it that God is calling you to serve now? Where is he saying to you that I got a new thing for you? Because maybe the way that you've ministered in the past isn't going to be what God has for you in the future. And I can't agree more with Carlos. God needs more people. Let me rephrase that. He doesn't need anybody. God wants more people. And he's asking you. And he's wanting you to ask and say, here am I. Send me. Amen? Have eyes to see where God is working. And join him there.